Good morning, and welcome to the podcast. I guess I can introduce uh, Father Christian and uh, Rabbi Durbin, who has the best-looking hair this side of the Jordan River. So, uh, gentlemen, and I don't use the term loosely, I say top of the morning to you. Well, you know, it's about time that our wonderful producer made an appearance on the podcast. And so it's for all the stuff that happens in the background and, and soon we'll have laugh tracks and have all these things. It, it is it's this guy right here. He is the voice of the Mets. And it's about darn we had your angelic voice on here because if they're listening to the podcast, they don't hear your show before us. They don't get to hear all your antics and your chicken chow mein and Arriva Derchi and stuff. So how do you feel about being the producer of this show? Is, is this just like a, is it pain you or is it just like, you know, somewhat entertaining? Um, I don't want to say somewhat entertaining. It is very entertaining. I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. Um, I love the shtick that you guys do because there's always a lot of chutzpah in the show and nobody ever feels verklempt at all whatsoever. That he just took three Yiddish words and threw them together. So we do have a Yiddish word of the day. Um, and we like to start off each podcast with a Yiddish word of the day. Um, what is our Yiddish word of the day today, Rabuni? Uh, the Yiddish word of the day today is a bupkis. 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 He was the center for the uh, Chicago Bears or the middle linebacker. Mm. Bupkis. Bupkis. Okay. okay, great. Bupkis. So you all have to put in the show We'll put in the show notes what that means, uh, but stay tuned. All right, guys. So today we're going to get into the meat of, uh, of in. We feel that in communities of faith, we shouldn't be scared to talk about the hot topics. We feel like the gospel, or we feel like our scripture, calls us to do this. God lifts up these heavy topics that if we don't talk about it, then just society does whatever they want with it, and we know how that goes. So whether it's talking about sex, whether it's talking about religion, whether it's talking about politics, whether it's talking about race. It needs to happen. So right now, the big hot ticket is, is race. We feel like God is saying, what are you all going to do about this, human beings? You guys are really divided. Uh, I'll be with you if you want to go do the work, but do the work. But it's a, tough, it's a tough one to do, especially if you're in a homogenous community. So we're bringing on Mary McKinney today, who's going to be, she does some work on something called the B Beloved Community. How do we start these conversations so everyone feels invited to the table and they don't feel attacked or they don't feel like they're being told that they're just not woke? <laughs> can't stand that term. Uh, but but Miriam's going to come in and, and lead us on that and hold our feet to the fire. So, uh, Rabuni, um, are, are you ready for this? Have you buckled your seatbelt, put some nice product in your hair, and ready to roll? I'm ready. I'm ready. Evan789, man, are you ready to push some buttons, raise some levels, and uh, hit the bleep button when Rabbi's mouth gets out of control and uses bad language? I am ready for the Rabuni without a doubt, and uh, we are ready with the bleep button. All right, y'all. God bless you. Subscribe to the podcast. We're going to see you on the flip side. Peace. A priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi. The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over-allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest 
and a rabbi. Oh, Buenos Dias, everyone out there in Martin County and beyond, and all those who will be listening on a podcast later on. Arriva Dirty, it is Father Christian, and to my left or to my right, depending on how you're looking at my Zoom screen, is the most handsome rabbi you've seen this side of the Jordan River. Um, ladies, he is married with three girls, so I'm so sorry you can just swipe left on that. Um, he is Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Chaim. He is my brother, he is my friend, and he is my rabbi. Brother man, another episode, another show. Here we are on a sunny morning here in Stewart, Florida. Um, are you ready to rock and roll and to get into this, to some meat and potatoes again today? You know, uh, I am. And, uh, you know, one of the beautiful things and amazing things uh, of our technology today, and for those that are familiar with Facebook, is, you know, every every day... It will go back to a memory a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, however long you've, you've been part of it. Um, and the other day, I got a memory of three years ago of Father Anderson and I doing our two-week interfaith conversation at Temple Beit Hayam. Uh, and, you know, it filled my heart because um, I was like, you know, how long have I known this guy? Um, you know, not only is this, what, our 103rd, 104th episode, something like that, so not only 104 hours we've spent together, but double it because we prepped during the week, so, you know, over 200 and some odd hours, and I just thought to myself, you know, I really like this guy, Aww. I like this priest, <laughs> the nicest priest, the most engaging priest that I have ever come into contact with, east of the River Thames, you know, it is, uh, it is wonderful, wonderful to to have you here. Yes, well, uh, I, I, I likewise, and um, I'm happy for our relationship, and I'm happy for all of our listeners who are here today. Uh, Y'all, if, you, if you're not familiar with the priest and the rabbi, this is a show about a priest and a rabbi. There you go. Okay. Uh, we also have a podcast. And so we're just, before we jump into the meat of this show today, um, which is going to be talking about how do you do the hard work of racial reconciliation? because many of us are scared to do it. We're scared to talk about it. We're scared to even reference it. It is now part of the three things you don't talk about before. It was just uh, religion and politics. Now people don't wanna talk about race. Three things, and if you're a person of faith, these are three things, and I would add in sex. So the four things that you do need to talk about within the church or the temple or the mosque, because you need to bring God into these conversations and find out where God is calling you, especially in the voting booth. How is God calling you to vote. So we're going to start getting into that. And we brought in, we have a great guest today and she, she is going to be, she, she, she's, she's not a morning person, but she's drinking her, um, her, 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 I think a latte right now to get all, get all ready to go. Um, but ladies, so ladies and gentlemen, if you do want to call and just start yelling at a priest and a rabbi, uh, the number here is 772-280. No? 220 one more time, Rabbi. 772-220-9788. That's right. Give us a call because uh, is your, does your home of uh, your worship community, are they talking about race at all? Knowing, you know, are, are the gospel or when we, as faith leaders, we are called to be relevant, not to just preach in little silos and teach in little silos. And this is a big topic. This is a topic that God's been calling us to. Uh, and if we ignore it or don't talk about it or politicize it, um, then I think the rabbi and I are on the same page that we are doing a disservice to where our, our we are not being obedient to your call, uh, to the call as faith leaders. Um, so give us a call if your 
your church, if your mosque, if your temple, if your ashram is uh, talking, it has been talking about race at all, preaching about it, or they've just been staying away because they don't want to get people upset because we don't want to go to church or temple and feel upset. We want to feel happy. Um, all right. So let's talk to Miss Miriam McKinney, who is our guest today. She is a woman um, who works for Forward Movement, um, which is the, uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb. I think it is the largest or probably well-known uh, publishing house in the Episcopal Church. And there might be some other competition who would say not, but I, I, I know that they are really responsible for forming disciples in Christ within the Episcopal Church. She's going to tell you a lot more about that. But what she also does is really committed her life and she's founded a calling to do the good work of racial reconciliation and helping with through a program called the Beloved Community that's been started by um, our church uh, and inviting people into this conversation uh, and saying, let's, let's have the challenging conversation, but let's allow Jesus lead us through it. God, our creator, is leading us through it. Not my opinions, not something else, but it's God. So Mary McKinney, you are a wonderful human being for getting up this early. We know that you're usually at the clubs in Cincinnati until 4 a.m. And so you don't get in until late DJing. Um, but um, it's good to have you here. That's right. Friend. Well, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Can, so um, I just probably slaughtered your biography about 30 seconds ago. So can you tell us a little bit more about what, no. what keeps you grinding um, every day and saying, you know what, God, thank you for another day for me to do this work. Yeah, thanks for putting it that way. Honestly, as you were talking about the things that I do, I realized that thing that I've heard other people say, which is you, you know, for me, I've been lucky to understand what a call is. And so if you stay true to what the spirit is calling you to do, you'll figure out a way to do your real calling and not have to get paid for it explicitly. So I do these other things so that I can have the time and opportunity to do beloved work, becoming beloved community work. That's what I've realized actually in this moment. So that's, I guess, <laughs> what waking up early will do. <laughs> you can and then I wish you guys on. could see Miriam right now, because we also uh, put this whole <laughs> podcast or this whole radio show on our Facebook page, which you all should go pull over in your car right now and go on Facebook and subscribe to our Facebook page called A Priest and a Rabbi Podcast. Miriam has light beaming on her coming from her window. So she looks angelic. So I feel like we're being visited right now. This is the visitation of Miriam McKinney on the show. So we're, we're, we, are, we are in awe. So please go, go ahead, my dear. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, that's, I'm surrounded by windows, so it's a gift and a curse, so thanks for making it a gift. Uh, I, at Forward Movement, so first of all, I was a librarian for over 20 years, so that is, you know, I felt definitely called to that work in the ministry of being a librarian, which, if you think about the library, it's the last truly public and free place that anybody can go, whatever your walk of life, and hopefully you get treated the same, no matter what your circumstances. So I, that is one of the main reasons why I love being a librarian and also because I love books and I love exchanging ideas. So I did that for a long time. And then I wanted to be with my family more. So I had an opportunity to be part-time at Forward Movement and I took it. And 10 years later, here I am doing the work of uh, development and mission. So both of those aspects of our work. So I fundraise so that we can give a lot of stuff away, um, mostly forward day by day, our daily devotional, but also I work on projects with the national church and other organizations like the way of love. So I was on a formation team that developed the um, materials and all of the language behind the words um, that 
make up the way of love. And for our listeners who might not know, sorry, I, I know where you might go with this rabbi because um, he is the leader of the Episcopal Church and you know him because of the royal wedding. But can you describe who, so the way of love, who's leading mm -hmm. that right now? Our listeners might be aware of once you say his name. Bishop Michael Curry is the person who came into his uh, role as presiding bishop with that concept already developed that he wanted to call people to this return to the fundamentals of faith. And I'm talking about anybody's faith. These are words that the Episcopal Church doesn't have some handle on these words, like we're the only ones doing it. And that's really why we intentionally chose these words like these, like turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, and rest. So these are things that all faith traditions and people who are seekers and people who are spiritual, we all do these things. So for us in our lens in the Episcopal Church, it's as we follow Jesus, but it doesn't have to be restricted to that. That's just what we as a you know, Christian faith and Episcopal Church say that we're doing. So that's the way of love is around that. But you can translate it into a lot of different uh, contexts. And that's what we love about it. And helps and, make it you know, easy just, to do. Just, just for, you know, for those that um, are, are joining us, listening to us, what, what, what brought you that, that, that passion and that need to invest yourself within the Episcopal Church? I mean, was there, was there something when you were growing up that really, really impacted you or you felt this, this, you know, as Jews, we don't really call it a calling. We call it vocation. We call it, um, mm -hmm. you know, a, a need to, to serve, you know, was there something in your background or your history, or was it something that later in life you came to of, well, this just seems like the fit for me to be able to, you know, give myself to those who uh, are in need. Yeah, I, I think for, for me, as far as why the Episcopal Church, it's because my dad's an Episcopal priest, and therefore that's been my lifelong concept and what I've continued to believe in. But, um, you know, as far as why I spend so much of my free time working on uh, developing the beloved community is because, you know, when even before I was born, you know, the concept of institutional racism and white supremacy um, definitely had an impact on my life because my biological parents met in college. Here comes a baby and they really loved each other, but interracial marriage was illegal in those days. And therefore, you know, just wasn't even an option. So she got kicked out by her parents and I was adopted at three days old. So it was a huge blessing for my parents, but for them, it was a loss. They got married and I have two sisters. And so I've you know, in my adult life, gotten to know them, but um, it, it it's a loss too. I mean, my mom died before, my biological mom died before I met her in person. So it, that's the kind of thing that there's all kinds of people who have a story like that. Maybe not that, you know, unique, but there's all kinds of people who've lost children for, you know, problems even with health that stem from institutional racism. So for me, always having to sort of be, you know, a kid who was in the midst of, of white kids, you know, in my Montessori school and high school. And the only place that I was around uh, people of color was at my church because the church I went to was a historically black church here in Cincinnati. 
So I think I just had an idea of what the beloved community looked like in all of those contexts, not just saying that it's only with black people, only with my kind of people did I find it. It's just that I knew what it looked like and what it felt like. And I sought that and I couldn't find it. But I was determined once I did find a church home and I saw the need and, and the materials coming out of the church and I was getting asked and asked and asked. I was like, I'm going to have to go ahead and do this. I just, I, you know, the spirit was calling me to it or it was pushing me to it. Now, we, I, I know, Rabbi, you say vocation. A lot of, when I think of vocation, I think of like the work that I'm employed to do, which is, I think, what a lot of think, folks think it means. So I say just I discerned this and I'm listening to the spirit because I'm not getting paid. I mean, I get some grants, whatever, but I'm doing this work on my own time and at risk of my own health. And so uh, I definitely feel like it's something I have to do because if I don't do it, then what do I say to my daughters? How do I face my ancestors and elders? You know. Say more about that. So there's, so this is, this is, it seems like there, have you always felt this way about the work that you do within racial reconciliation uh, and the work with racial, racial justice, especially, I'm just going to assume you, you're always doing that through a kingdom of God lens uh, because you are a believer. Is that, right. was there a moment for you that where you were just like, this, I feel like this is where God is calling me, thrusting me into, and it might be painful, it might hurt, it might be uncomfortable. Um, and we know with any kind of call or vocation, as Rabbi was saying, that we can all have our Jonah moments where we just want to be like, no way, God, uh-uh, that battle is ridiculous. And I'm just going to jump in the belly of a whale and hide out there for a while and play, you know, PlayStation. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not really feeling this. So uh, did you have that call and was there PlayStation involved? Uh, I, there was not PlayStation involved, but I definitely felt all of what you just said. I think, you know, when you, when being, uh, you know, I'll say person of color, but I'll just also say black. I think it's important that we're talking about, I'm a person who to some degree, people don't want to face the fact that at some point in my past, my family were enslaved. So it's, there's a lot about that that some people can't deal with. And I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. The Ohio River is right down the street. And you're talking about the river where people crossed over from um, being enslaved to not being enslaved. So there, don't think that has left the building or the area. That vibe is still here. This state voted red. This is just, this is what it is. So for me, being black in this town most of my life, it means people look at you and they're going to decide. And that doesn't mean everybody, but it's a lot of people. And I can tell you that it's that way because since I've been mostly at my house, I don't experience that so much anymore. So it, I'm talking in my daily life. I don't have the option to not go through those experiences unless I just don't engage in stuff like going to Starbucks, going to Target, going to Kroger, go, like going just the daily kind of errands and things in life. That's not even dealing with work, church, what, whatever, it, you know, I'm, I'm just being real. People are racist at church. Even in the black community, we have colorism. It's a huge problem. And so these are things that I feel like, particularly the, the racism thing, I mean, colorism, we, that's, 
I'm not getting into that. But as far as white supremacy is concerned, if I don't leverage my, um, what we call in, in this book I'm reading, um, this book is anti-racist. Write that down. This book is anti-racist. It's a book for middle-aged to teenagers. I'm using it with my youth group. I highly recommend it for adults. Um, the author is Tiffany Jewell. She talks in there about spending your currency, like your privileged currency. So I have to acknowledge that even as a black woman, there is some currency that I have due to my social socioeconomic status. I, you know, I'm Episcopalian for goodness sake. So there's things that I can do um, to, to leverage what I have to help people who don't have what I have. Um, but sometimes it's obviously for obvious reasons, I think it would be much better if a white person did that because when white people show that they're willing to do the work of anti-racism, then, then the other white people who they know who wouldn't ever listen to me, they're gonna listen to you. So that's why we have to get past this concept. That's why I'm so passionate about this work because I'm friends with a lot of white people and white people will listen to me. So I, I wanna use that voice and that place to encourage you, implore you to join the work of dismantling racism because you know all of all of our salvation is bound together no matter what your faith life is we are connected as human beings and so you know i pray for my enemies like that has been a big part of my prayer life that i've developed praying for people who don't like me don't wish me uh good i pray for those people and it's not like i pray that they'll change and do better by me i just pray for them that god gives them everything that they are praying for just like I want those same things from God. So you, you I truly see us like that. Yeah. So see, here's the thing that like you, you hit upon some key words that in doing this work, um, white people will just run for the doors. You know, we start talking about like white privilege, white supremacy is a bold word, right? That, that, that's a bold word, especially yeah. if you, if you are someone who says, listen, man, I'm, I love everyone. I'm in it. I mean, I, I don't discriminate. Um, and that that's tough. And that's tough to, to, to get people to come to the table to say, let's at least yep. have this discussion. And because God is calling us to us, not because, you know, secular organizations can just do a thing on social justice, but where God is calling us to this work. So how have you found, I think the really the, the key is if we are being called by God to have this conversation, because as Paul says, um, if one part of the body of Christ is hurting, then we all hurt. We all cry together. So if you notice that <laughs> the black population of America is clearly hurting, has been hurting, has been crying, has been roaring, has been marching. And so either as a white person, you'd be like, are they just like, are they just playing victim? Are they lying? Or really, do we have an, uh, an epidemic <laughs> here that needs to be addressed? Because either people are lying and saying things that like, oh, that's not really true. You need to get over and just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Or we have an epidemic of still of racism in our country because of, it makes sense how our country was founded. It was founded on people being stolen from a country, treated as chattel, not being given, not looked at as fully human. That doesn't just wash away once we all said, you're free. Um, but, how so much it, but how much of it too is also based on the understanding that if it doesn't affect me, Right. or my own past then you know it's just conjecture and at the end of the day it's just it's just words being spoken that's right 
we've 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 unpacked this, you know, a while. And I think in our society we've tried to unpack it, which is look, you know, as a white person, I can listen to people of color and their struggles, but unless it affects me directly, I I don't feel like I have the passion or the I don't want to say desire because it's not about desire. I don't know if I have the bandwidth to be able to fight this fight if it doesn't affect me directly. You know, as Jews, it's always affected us, whether it's 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 uh, people of color, which is of Jewish great concern, or whether it be any social value or ethic. You know, as Jews, we stand up for those who have no one to stand up for them because we also recognize as a Jewish people, we were strangers in the land of Egypt. Right. It's that oppression that as Jews we have had of our sacred history for thousands of years. We know what it's like. I mean, I, I think we've used this example before, but even in you know the 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 in 1965 with, with the Reverend King, right? Who was linked arm to arm with him but rabbis? Because we understood that your plight and your uh, struggle is our struggle. You know, we're not free in this world until every person is free. Um, you know, we say in our in our tradition, there is a, a very a powerful line uh, or phrase, I should say, that says, you know, you're 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 more than capable. It's not for you to finish the work, but you are not free to desist from it. We have to make a stand. We have to be able to impart ourselves and give that gift so that others are able to see it. All right. So listen, this this is getting to some good meat here. And so I think and so we're going to take a, a, a quick break. And when we come back, uh, Miss Miriam, if it's cool with you, we're going to get into how have you successfully found to invite people into this work? And merely, as, as what Rabbi was saying, white people, right? Because there, there's an empathy card here that is, I think, we become the best healers in this country or in, in our lives when we're wounded healers, when we can, when we have, we can identify with the pain. So if you're having white people who can't really identify what it's like to be black, what are the successful, healthy ways you've seen within spiritual communities to invite people to hear the stories and to say, yes, we have an epidemic, um, really a pandemic, and, and we need to take this on as a united, as united faithful front. So we're going to take a quick break to hear about the people who helped make this all possible. And when we come back, Mary McKinney from Ford Publications, Ford Movement, Scott Gunn would kill me, is here to drop some crazy knowledge. Stay tuned. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review. Five star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. 
Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A uh, Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And, and I want to uh, let you know that I have uh, started a uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time, and you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. back with part two of A Priest and a Rabbi. My name is Father Christian Anderson from St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Steer, Florida. Next to me is the best darn good-looking rabbi you've seen this side of the Jordan River. It is Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Hayam. And with us today, our guest is Miss Miriam McKinney from Forward Movement, an Episcopal, a branch of the Episcopal Church that is helping, well, just get our acts together and to move forward and make disciples and make disciples. Um, so, Miss Miriam is here because she has been doing a lot of great work in what we call in the Episcopal Church a diocese, um, just basically a region of, of something called the beloved community. And that is work that the, that the church has done to say this is how our, our approach to inviting people into creating that biblical biblical vision of a beloved community where everyone is seen in God's image. That is the truth that God has given us from Genesis 1. Um, and in the first part of the show, we talked about just the struggle of how do you even start these conversations of racial reconciliation um, at a, any spiritual community? Because unfortunately, uh, race has been politicized and it just and, and it's also an uncomfortable topic for people, uh, especially over the last year. And it people get really divided or uncomfortable and they just don't want to touch it. So in this part, this segment of the show, we want to get into how do we effectively invite everyone to the table, no matter what your the, the, the pigment, the shade of pigment on your skin is. Uh, and so we can start hearing some stories and maybe that can help raise the empathy card um, in all of us to really hear one another, black and white and brown, what have you, whatever God blessed you with. So uh, Miss Miriam, so tell us how you've successfully or unsuccessfully been able to invite folks to the table to say, guys, we got to have this conversation. I really like for you to show up every Wednesday night from six to eight 30 at our church for the next 12 weeks. <laughs> Which I, I haven't done that quite yet, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I, what I've, what I've got cooked up. So 
first thing I'll say is, and you can Google this, it's really easy to find. If you Google um, Beloved Community Episcopal, you're going to come up with um, the website for that. You know, we can put it in the in the show notes. Yeah, the thing later. Yeah. Um, but it's it's you'll see a labyrinth. And so we have this concept. And again, this came out of actually Heidi, who um, I know you mentioned Heidi Kim. She's a friend of mine, came to see you and her colleague. Um, my gosh, I'll think of his name when I'm not trying to think of it. Um, came down, but they um, were part of the people who worked on this. So um, Heidi's gone on to other things, but her work lives on. So we have these four quadrants of this labyrinth that we're talking about. And again, there's no Episcopal stamp on these. They're just words that people can use. Um, and we didn't make it up anyway. Telling the truth, proclaiming the dream, the way of love, which we already talked about, and um, practicing the way and repairing the breach. So you might fall anywhere. Like, so to me, when you're figuring out, okay, do I want to do this work? Can I do it? Am I able to deal with it? The first thing to think about is, like Rabbi said, a lot of times people don't come to understand their need to get involved in this work until they've been personally affected by it. The thing that I feel like one of the reasons I went into the field of being a librarian is that I have understood for a long time that stories are what connect people. Um, I've always been a person who was drawn into stories and I know I'm not alone in that, people love to read. And the fact that print books are still um, big and we understand now even with all the technology in the world, people prefer to read print books. There's something to the physical nature of the story or listening to stories. I mean, there is research on tribes where um, the most important people in that tribe were the story keepers and the people who could tell the story. Those people are vitally important. We, as people of faith, have this shared story. Even though, you know, for us, it's this portion, we share that. So when Rabbi talks about the Egypt story, I read the book of Egypt with my youth group. I read it with my colleagues at Forward Movement. I know that story um, pretty well. I don't know all the Bible well, but I know that one. And there's some other ones that I know well, which then makes me able to talk about those stories with other people. When I'm able to do that, people are then willing to come to a different kind of story sharing. And I say story sharing because it's not transactional. I'm not selling you anything and you're not selling me anything. We are doing this for the sole purpose of sharing a part of ourselves with each other. I just feel like as people, there's, I can't think of anybody who would say they don't thrive on that. I just think they're lying. I, I just think that's a part of who we are. It's part of our makeup. So I believe that this work is about some form of story, storytelling, story sharing, because another piece about what you, what both of you talked about, I don't blame white people for anything. I think we suffer from a huge lack of education. When you think back to the things that you learned about, I'm gonna tell you right now, I learned more about the Holocaust than I did about slavery, American slavery. And that's just real. And I, I had to go to, when I was in college, I took classes on it because I wanted to know more about it. So I had to elect to learn about the history of my people 
in this country, not to mention the diaspora. So I, I, I feel like, you know, I do blame people who are intentionally harmful and know what they're doing when they're hurting people and choosing who they're going to marginalize. I mean, like, I'm not giving people a pass, but I, I don't ha- look at white people and say, okay, everybody, you need to like cough it up. You need to, you know, figure it out. We have to build our relationship with each other. And it's God's job to figure out how you are going to be involved in the work of reparations and restoration and healing. That's not my job. My job is to invite you. My job is to welcome you. My job is to share who I am with you so that maybe in my story, you'll see yourself and you'll feel like, okay, you know what? I wanna know a little bit more. So one other thing that I do is that I've worked on this list of um, multicultural and primarily African-American picture books because you can have an hour with a group of people and I'm talking about adults, um, but kids too. And you can read a picture book which takes about 15 minutes and you can have a very, very robust, deep, emotional um, and educational conversation. And you can come away with that and say, okay, I need to now go and learn about this. Now I realized what I didn't know about this and now I wanna know more about this. Or you can have a series like that, your, your 12 week series. And if you see behind me, if you're looking, um, I have this giant shelf of picture books and those are some of the ones that are on the list. So when I work with a group, so my here's how it works. I will work with a church group, a vestry, a committee and um, I will choose some books. And then after I kind of talk with people a little bit, I pick one. I mean, I was a, a library teacher for a year, so I, I know how to deal with kids. So I pick a book and we read that and then we talk about it. And I've done that with my daughters and I've done it with uh, uh, some different groups. And every single time it's a different experience, but everybody comes away with it, ready to do it again, like wanting to do it another time. Because people like to be told stories. I mean, we watch stories on TV, we listen to stories, we read stories, and we share this common story. So I, I just really feel like stories are the answer to this. So, Relationships so, are built. Right. So, the, yeah, because what I'm thinking is before, in the end of the first half of the show, we were talking about uh, the importance of, uh, Rabbi said, you know, you, you get invested into a plight when you've, when you've experienced it yourself. And so the part of the struggle that I've seen uh, just witnessed over just this, even just this last year was that there's a, um, uh, there's, there's tension between let's say the black community and the white community because blacks are saying one thing and the whites are being like, huh? And, and so there's not an identification of saying, I feel, and I understand your pain. There's more sometimes being like, wait, hold up hold up, let, let, let's, let's, let's slow down here. And um, I think maybe you're getting a little too carried away here, or you're being too sensitive, or you're getting out of control on this. And the blacks, and blacks would be saying, hey, listen, if you live my life every day and you know what it's like, uh, you, you would just, you would be doing crazy stuff too. And you'd be losing your mind yes. having mental uh, breakdowns. So, so there's a huge disconnect there. So if you start doing work like the beloved community, but your whole spiritual community is homogenous, let's say it's all white, it, it, are, are you saying that these stories will help people at least start to begin to identify with the black experience and form that empathy? 
Or do you have to have really a diverse community doing this work together so we can have, as the rabbi would say, so we can see each other panim panim face to face, see mm -hmm. and hear and touch each other's pain in order for us to move forward? I guess the question is, can you do this with a homogenous group and say, we're going to start doing this work together? Or do you need to have diversity? I, I, I think it's great to have diversity. So, you know, and, I, th and here's the thing about, about that where people, we couldn't kind of figure it out before. Now we know, even though some people might be sick of Zoom, I haven't gotten sick of Zoom yet because I guess for me, it has, we've done so much work of connecting people because we're not limited by our geography. And sometimes we want those limitations of our geography. Like, you know, if, if something is too far out of our context, it's crazy. However, in Cincinnati, just take as the example, when you have, I don't know how many churches we have here, we have a lot. And, and there's two African-American churches. Do you think that those two African-American churches want to partner up with everybody who wants to partner up? Like you really have to think about um, people's bandwidth to do this. This is like what I do. I don't say everybody go and do exactly what I do. I think you need to listen to hear what you're getting advised to do, what you're discerning you want to do. My thing is with stories but we also want people to share. So even like, if you're feeling like, okay, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can do this, if I can share. Some people feel like they don't wanna share in front of people of color. Like it's, they're scared to do that. So I wouldn't say, I mean, to me, if your context is homogenous, then you go with that. But you need to be intentional about inviting people in to guide you and lead you and share. Like I do that. I, I will go and meet with a congregation that has little to no people of color, because, you know, I can, you know, talk with them, give them something and then advise them, here are some people who you can talk to. But if you're, it, to me, and there's a lot of resources and tools that you can use that, you know, like video based and different things. But if, if you're in a homogenous community, I think there are ways that you can do this work and be a homogenous community. I don't want, I, I guess I'll put it like this. Don't let that be a reason not to do it. Don't think that because you don't have anybody around you, because some of the time you have people around you and you just don't realize it. it just, they might not be in your faith community, but they're there. That's what Scott Gunn said to me one day. Um, and here in Ohio, I can definitely testify to that. So, cause I went to school in Athens and Athens is a small town. And so, you know, like, it's not like there's no people of color there, they're there. Sure. Um, so anyway, I think that, but don't don't let that be a reason not to. Yeah, I mean, and this work might be a, a catalyst or or a, a nudge by the spirit to say uh, there, there's obviously people of color not far from from your church home, to synagogue home, uh, and this might be a way to start start the relationship and say, hey, we're starting to do this work. Um, we would love and be honored if someone would be able to be open to sharing a story, not like the whole. 13 weeks or whatever. But I see what you're saying though, because there's exhaustion, I think, on the side of people of color right now because they have every white friend calling them being like, so what do, how do I do this? How do I do this? Um, but uh, but interesting, interesting, because, you know, that understanding that, you know, white folks would feel less encumbered to be able to speak with folks of color in terms of their experience or you know in in some way is it is it because we feel um um we don't want to minimize your story um you know we can't really empathize 
you know, is, is that it? Or is there is there a veil that we've put up to be able to say, look, I'm white. You may be a person of color. There's no way I can ever, I can ever put myself in your shoes or even understand I mean, I think I think we can we can we can empathize and we can we can understand, but you really truly can't understand the struggle and the plight that we've had for you know for 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 for, for a very long time. Um, and I guess I guess I guess how do we, both as clergy and as concerned individuals in our world, how do we how do we make it so that others feel that your story, my story? is just as important and just as valid as yours. And I'm trying to help to try and, as, as Father Anderson, you said, you know, we live in a homogenous society. Well, homogenous society is, is the, the, there, there are, uh, uh, you know, pros and cons to it. But I think, um, you know, how do, we, how do we work for the benefit of all people in our communities, regardless of color or regardless of, of um, uh, of, of ability to be able to allow others to understand and to see the struggle that others have gone through and to work towards some semblance of, of, of harmonization. You know, you hit it right there at the end, Rabbi. I think here's, here's the thing. You have to take it to the point of what, what are we doing here? What do we, what do we want? So I'll just speak for myself and for what I want, you know, for my, family for my girls. Um, I don't want to have to justify or explain my reason for being, and I don't want to be seen as less than. I don't want my husband, who's very dark-skinned, get treated differently because, and people make assumptions about him uh, because he's dark-skinned. I don't want my daughters to be um, asking themselves, you know, who they need to be in a different setting based on who they're around. And so I think I'm, I'm, I want to, to work toward people seeing me just like I see them, which is, you know, again, as a person of faith, I put it in that context as equal in my eyes because we're equal in the eyes of God. Not just you see me, you know, and say, oh, well, okay. I guess I have to see her as a child of God. No, I, I want you to see me as a child of God. And I just feel like if we really are true to what our scriptures tell us, no matter where you are in the scriptures, you're going to get the same answer, which is we are created by God and God's image. So what, what does that mean as far as how we do it? We can then go back. One thing I didn't mention that we absolutely have to address is bias. Because bias is something we all have. It's not like white people have bias. No, I have bias. And the way that bias works, I, I, again, it's one of those things you need to, to learn it. There's videos. You can ha have a person come in. We're very fortunate here in Ohio to have Ohio State University, the Kerwin Institute. And we had a person come in our diocese and give a presentation. It changed my life, changed everything about the way I think. Just understanding how bias works in me as an individual and how I need to check it. It's changed my prayer life. It's changed, it's changed a lot of things. Mm -hmm change my outlook so and it's helped me to see everybody the way I see them now because I understand that we all have bias so I highly encourage you to to go through it and if you haven't done it in a while do it again so that that's a huge piece but I that's what I want so I think my dream is no different than most people's dream and and so I guess what I'm saying is I don't 
want white people to feel guilty. You're going to feel whatever you feel. And I don't, I don't feel like you owe me anything. I just want you to see me as an equal. And then everything will go from there. That's what I think. Okay, so have you, have you through the work of, let's say, the storybooks, have you found that successful where you are working with a group of folks and let's say, you know, you're in the Episcopal Church. So nine times out of 10, I'm sure right. you're probably in a situation where everyone's white and you're the only person of color in the room. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay, so that's what happened with this with this group I'm thinking of? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so you brought the books in. So how does so how does that work? So I'm just trying to think of anyone listening right now. It's like, wow, I really do want to work this, do do this work, and I just I need an invitation. I need a way that's at first very soft and inviting that gets people to be like, I could do that. I could get people together at my church. We could look at these stories and we could start to have this, and it won't put people on the defensive. It won't get people feel like they're being attacked, but it will open up hearts and open up our our perspective and make us aware of implicit biases and all that stuff. All right. You know what? I'm not going to use, I, I should have just had a book next to me. I didn't, but so here's how it works. If I have an opportunity, like if it's a group that's ongoing and I have an opportunity to, to be involved in something they're already doing and I can listen and sort of get the vibe. Um, this particular group was very engaged in wanting to do the work, but they basically like a lot of folks just wanted to fix it. And, you know, they're a well-resourced organization and they were like, just tell us what to do. You know, Miriam, like, like we literally stopped in the middle of doing a breakout session and they were like, just, just, can you just tell us what we need to do? And I was like, oh yeah, well, you know, actually the first thing you need to do is look at yourselves. You need to examine who you are as a congregation and look at what it is that your congregation is about. And um, just, you need to, to do that work. And, you know, then some of those people were in the session where I read the story. So like, just imagine you're on the Zoom call. Here I am. I've got the book, blah, blah, blah. Make sure everybody can see. And I literally read it to them. And then that is a children's like, so Miriam right now for all yeah, you listening, the picture is book. holding up a picture book. And when she opens yeah, it up, picture book. I'll tell you as a white man, what I see is just a picture book of black <laughs> children. Right. That's that particular one I had. I mean, I would read that one. That one's called Benny doesn't like to be hugged and it's about these two friends and he's okay. autistic and she's telling people that you know but so it's not just black people in there which most of the books there are not just black people in there unless it's something historical which even still there's never that situation point is yeah it's a children's book um and the thing about a children's book like I was saying earlier you can read a picture book in you know 15 minutes or less and so like I read one about this woman to, to our commission on ministry um, where it was about this woman who learned to read at age 114. Think about that. So this is based on a true story. So, it, it, and so I'll go back to the last group though. With them, I read a book. I won't get into what it, what it was about because um, I know we're almost out of time, but basically after I read it, and we talked about it, they totally got where I was coming from. They could see themselves in the story. They could see other people who were the kinds of people that they were wanting to um, either understand or help or get to know, whatever. They were willing, but they just didn't understand what they needed to do on themselves. So now they know, okay, we need to go and learn more about this thing. We have a lot of people who speak Spanish in our area. So maybe we need to go and learn a little bit more about like what brought people here and 
what's going on, what's their experience. Like they need to do some recon before you go and start trying to, you know what I mean? They need to do that pre-work. And so that's the kind of thing. So when I look at each group, I say, okay, here's what I think you need. And I'm going to invite you into conversation about that. And so you can do that in an hour with a picture book versus a book where people, not that I'm knocking this, but if you're having to read a 200 page book, um, that's hours and hours and hours of preparation, which again, I, that's like a next step that's going deeper. All right. So this is, this is great. And I know that you're a busy woman and you have a whole other call to jump on. And so um, <laughs> we, we, we want to honor that, but we, we want to honor you by just saying thank you, uh, Miriam, for, for being on the show today and for sharing um, a bit of your, your personal story of why you do the work that you do uh, and, and sharing how there's different ways that you approach it. Can you give our listeners, a, if they are curious to say yes, um, I want to learn more, and whether it's through the stories that you shared or through other formats, uh, where can they go to to learn more and to, to find some resources? Um, in the the Be- becoming beloved community resource that I mentioned is at episcopalchurch.org/slash/beloved-community, and again, I will. I mean, if you you can Google it, it pops right up. That's usually how I find it. Um, my email is, um, you know what, I'll put it, can you guys put it in your notes? We sure will. And people can email me. I'm a librarian to the end, y'all. And so if you have specific questions, please ask me and I would be thrilled to answer them personally. Um, because like I said, there are a lot of different resources. Harvard Project, if you put an implicit bias, Harvard Project, they'll come up with that a survey that you can take to assess your own bias in a lot of areas, not just uh, ethnicity or race. So oh, yeah, I've heard about that. That's a yes. great resource too. Yeah, Implicit All Bias right. Project. You um, are awesome. God bless you, sister. Thank you for the Thank work you that both. you do. Thank you for being here uh, and sharing and sharing the goodness. So uh, God bless you. Go keep on fighting the good fight. And uh, we'll do. And we'll bang. We're enjoy that um, that more cafe lattes that you make at home with the froth. I will. I will. Rabbi and Father, thank you so much for the opportunity. Peace. Uh, Peace. Yeah, Rabbi. So, uh, you know, there's a little little special place in my heart for for Miriam right off the bat just because she's a librarian and my mother's a librarian. And man, those those librarians are so, I mean, they want to get you the so, so everyone, please, if you are in a position, this is why Rabbi and I did the show today. If you're out there and you're listening and you are part of any community, and you're like, I do feel like we need to do some kind of work to respond to the, the, the divisive nature we see out there with race. Uh, but I'm not finding any resources that really work for us, or I don't even know where to start. You know, email Miriam because she's going to say, okay, tell me your context, and I'll direct you to the right resource. There's people telling you books to read all over the place. People saying, do a book study on white fragility. Well, <laughs> for many different places, that's not going to work. No one's going to show up to a book about reading about white fragility, right? So, but there are other ways, especially in a faith community, to invite people to talk about reconciliation, to talk about love, to talk about listening and empathy. These are universal things that our faith communities, especially from a Judeo-Christian background, we can get into, right? So, Rabbi, if you say we're going to just talk, we're going to spend six weeks talking on empathy. Well, that's a, that sounds great. Yeah, I want to become more of an empathetic person. And then race naturally is going to come involved. Do you, do you, do you agree or do you disagree? Do you think I'm nuts? 
You agree. Okay, you agree. So, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi uh, I'm going to be off next week, so you're going to be running and gunning, dude, the show. So who are you going to bring on? You're going to bring on someone so much better than me that then when I come back, there's going to be a little, a little red, red, ticket in my, red ticket in my locker, and I'm just been fired, dismissed, and now it's going to be called The Rabbi Show? It's going to be called um, um, uh, A Real Priest and a Rabbi. Man, man, shots fired already. All right, brother. Well, listen, so uh, a, a little as we close the show out, um, you know, St. Mary's, we're going to be doing here, if you're here in Martin County, in the new year, we are going to be doing our own version of this work. Um, and we'll probably be calling it the beloved community, but it's really going to be inviting people. And I'm going to ask publicly for a rabbi to be involved with it, because we're going to be doing a series of TED Talks, where it's people coming in and sharing their stories. And especially voices that are marginalized, voices that are not heard, voices that are misheard and misunderstood. And then we reflect on that using skill sets of like nonviolent communication, empathetic listening. So Rabbi, would you be one of our speakers who would come in and share your story? Awesome. All right, my brother. Well, you know, it is another awesome day here at A Priest and a Rabbi. If you all, we're going to ask you to do two things. Go on Facebook right now and like our page. Uh, a Priest and Rabbi podcast, and then go subscribe to the podcast so you can check out all the different people we've had on here, all these great different folks. Leave a comment. Um, we love you. God bless you. Uh, and if you want to know how to find good hair product, just ask the rabbi. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.